The Landlord and Lawyer Podcast with Ben Beadle and Tessa Shepherdson. Hello, everybody, and welcome. He's Ben Beadle. He's the landlord. And she's Tessa Shepherdson. She's the lawyer. And this is the Landlord and Lawyer Podcast. And we're very excited today because we um, have a great interview for you, a rather depressing interview with Bill Irvin, who is a real expert on um, universal credit and housing benefit. So Yeah, um, and, and this is an issue, Tessa, that affects a lot of landlords. So it um, should be an interesting subject. Yeah, and tenants. So um, let's look at it. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the, I think it's the 18th podcast with um, Bill Irvin. So um, welcome, Bill. Thank you. Um, Bill, we thought we'd start off with um, perhaps if you could just introduce yourself to everybody and just tell everybody a bit about you. I'll I'll keep to the good parts. Uh, I've had quite a a delinquent past. yeah, we'll um, leave out the leave out the you know the sort of teddy boy and the, and the yeah. things you know and <laughs> the sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that sort of stuff. We'll leave that out. They won't want to hear about that. Yeah, the Bill and Ben stuff as well. We'll leave that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bill and Ben. Yes, I'm, I, I'm probably weed. Aren't yes, yeah. <laughs> I thought that what's, was quite. What's with mother? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm weed. I'm weed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so my, uh, the relevant part was I was uh, involved in local authority uh, housing. I was the head of housing at one of the largest uh, councils in the UK, um, and where I was responsible for uh, there was forty thousand tenancies, and I was responsible, amongst other things, the collection of rent and the administration of housing benefit. And later on, we did so well keep our rent arrears down without having to use uh, repossession action that the, the council gave me the opportunity to do the same with the uh, revenue side of thing, which historically had always been in the finance department. Um, so for the first time, I think in any council in the UK, we brought the revenues team within housing. And uh, again, we made great strides. We, we increased the revenue by 7 million in the first year, mainly by ensuring that people got the benefits to which they're entitled, which reduced the liability and made it easier for us to collect council tax. I then left the local government and set up a similar organisation in the private sector um, and uh, we, we then sold it as part of a group uh, about uh, four years later um, for a multi-million pounds uh, and I retired at that point thinking I was going to be just over 50. I just decided to retire. Then I went down the gym for a year and got myself fit and things like that and then decided I was bored. <laughs> so I went back doing a bit of uh, consultancy for the SFHA, became a board member there, the Scottish Federation of Housing Associations. Uh, and then through that, by accident, I was asked to do some presentation by one of the local judges uh, and uh, ended up challenging the decisions he made that day and uh, reversed them to the upper tier and then decided to do that, to do this on a, a commercial basis, um, not realising I'd be doing it 11, 12 years later. Um, but nowadays what I'm doing is uh, working with the RLA and the NRLA uh, and more recently with yourself, um, I'm helping to represent landlords who 
encounter difficulties, whether it, whether it's housing benefit or uh, universal credit, um, to try and resolve some of these things, firstly for their tenants in some cases, uh, where it's overpayments or whatever, I'm dealing directly with uh, the landlords. Um, and, you know, get, getting a lot of success as well, because I've been doing it for 30 odd years. So, I mean, I should know what I'm doing. Um, in contrast, what I'm finding is that, you know, the DWP staff at Frontline especially are the ones who really don't have a, a really good uh, knowledge, particularly of the housing part of it. They had prior knowledge of the earlier schemes, you know, the job seekers allowance, the employment support allowance. But when it comes to the housing part, that's the bit that they have had no past experience. And when you look at the complexity sometimes of the housing scheme, it's not surprising that they often get these things wrong, and that's where I can come in. And I'll either help to represent by drafting letters, drafting appeals, but in many cases what I do is I take on cases, particularly from landlords, and uh, I'm usually doing it on a no-win-no-fee basis, so if I don't succeed, uh, I don't get paid. Uh, and some of those cases involve a lot of money. I mentioned the last time we were doing this, uh, Tessa, about uh, the overpayment case of £287,000. Well, that looks as if it was resolved yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, so the landlord won't have to repay any of that. Uh, and he knows, you know, it's a you know, tremendous amount of money. Uh, but that was a case where, without getting into all the detail, the, the local authority and the DWP couldn't agree who, they sh who should pay the tenants. So they both paid create new overpayments, even though my landlord was saying, well, this is just ridiculous. Why are you doing this? We would advise to get our tenants to claim universal credit. Um, and they did for a number of years. And then all of a sudden, decided to flip. And the DWP created all these overpayments and then decided um, when we appealed uh, not to respond to our appeals. And I think I mentioned the last time we had to get a district judge to issue the direction notices no less than three times, uh, and only now have they responded. So those are the type of things that I get involved in. And, and Bill, give us, um, <clears throat> for those not aware, you know, we've got sort of housing benefit and we've got universal credit, right? So um, maybe just give those sorts of, uh, maybe you could just explain the sort of concept of, of, of universal credit. Well, I think, I think, first of all, I think um, one of the biggest questions one of the most common questions I'm asked is, should my tenant claim housing benefit or universal credit? Yeah. As a rule of thumb, um, if you're 66 or more, then you should be claiming housing benefit. If you're under 66 of working age, then it'll be universal credit. And the concept of universal credit, in some parts of it I had no qualms about, was they were taking this one benefit and they were integrating all these other what we call legacy benefits like income support, uh, employment support allowance, tax credits into this one benefit. And by doing so, people would then have to uh, communicate with one organisation as opposed to communicating sometimes with three or four different organisations. And they were going to have this online system and they would be able to manage their own account just like they would do in other uh, parts of their daily business, you know, dealing with, you know, with Apple or with their gas or electricity and things like that. The concept was that people should take more responsibility for managing these things themselves. Um, and the, the concept is fine, but uh, the actual delivery of it has, as I'm sure you're aware, has taken, we're now into year nine 
can mm. change. And, and there's still many things that I've not liked about uh, about universal credit. Um, and from a landlord's perspective, um, there are certain things that can be cured pretty quickly, uh, things that could be seriously improved pretty quickly that would resolve a lot of the issues that they uh, are complaining about, and especially the rental loss that they're experiencing. Um, but the DWP definitely treats private landlords differently to social landlords. Social landlords, there's a right set of regulations called uh, the sharing of information regulations that apply to uh, the social landlord sector. And they've also got a portal. And through that portal, we're able to communicate with the DWP. Um, in the private sector, there's, there is no portal. Um, and there is no dedicated email that they could, a, a private sector landlord could use, nor any dedicated line that they can actually phone. Um, and when they apply for what they call alternative payment arrangements or direct payments, um, they invariably make their application, they don't get any acknowledgement, or they get an automatic acknowledgement, and then after that, they sit and wait and wait, um, and they don't hear anything. So what do they do? They reapply, sometimes making multiple applications because they're concerned their, their tenant hasn't paid them any rent, um, and they want, they, make, they want to make sure they don't lose out. And sometimes... You know, people can actually make three, four, five and get no response at all from DWP uh, from that. Uh, and that, that really is a frustration for landlords. Many of the cases I've dealt with, particularly in the past, um, uh, they were losing £15,000 down in London per case. And, and no landlord can sustain that. No, no, they, they can't. And, you know, you highlight some really big issues about, you know, the whole concept of, universal credit and uh, uh, you know, associated housing benefit. And I, I guess, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there at the moment, Bill, about, about this, this subject of um, uh, tenants claiming benefits, but you, you articulate a point that I think um, this is all, a lot of this is within government's um, gift to be able to address and that would uh, deal with a lot of the issues that landlords have reservations about remove the people from the equation actually if you can't talk to somebody you haven't got the same uh, lines of communications uh, and you are uh, treated uh, uh, frankly with contempt it's no wonder that landlords uh, uh, shy away from housing benefit yeah well housing benefit is a bit different i would say uh, councils Administering Housing Benefit, I've got 40 years of experience dealing with it. And within councils as well, you've also got a structure there where you've got a chief executive and various directors um, who, when they come, when you contact them, they'll actually give you their name, they'll give you their email address, so yeah. you can actually make contact. It's not perfect. Absolutely not perfect. The big difference with DWP is they don't want to engage with you. They, they want to keep you at arm's length. Part of the reason for that, it's not so much a government issue, it's actually more a departmental issue. Um, when they set this, this system up, one of the main objectives was to save money. And to do that, what they were trying to do was to remove the local delivery of that. So job centres were part of the, the casualties. Um, and as they did that, what happened is it became more and more remote arm's length delivery. And what they also did was they introduced a thing called explicit consent. Now, for years, the council operated implied consent. So if I had a, a letter from Ben Beadle saying, well, could you act for me, a letter from DWP or the council or whatever, 
then I would be able to then use that as my authority. But using explicit consent means that you have to get this very detailed letter of authority or mandate of authority, which DWP will only accept for two months, the month that's given and the following month. Thereafter, you have to renew that. Whereas with the councils, once you've got um, an authority or even the tribunals, that authority doesn't wane until you've concluded the, the exercise. Um, and it's as if they're actually putting more and more obstacles in your path. A lot of the, the frustrations when I was dealing with the RLA, when Mitchell Jones was there, who was a great help to me, a great ally, and we were pursuing a lot of these cases where landlords were losing 14,000, 15,000 pounds uh, per tenant. This explicit consent was actually being used to deny these alternative payment arrangements or direct payments. And the DWP staff, the frontline staff, and their complaint staff were just as frustrated as we were. And it was all it was all preventable because if you removed that, which they eventually did in 2017, um, you removed the ridiculous situation of giving somebody a thousand pounds in London for 1,200 pounds every month for them to misuse and also build up their rent arrears, putting themselves in jeopardy of being evicted. When the whole idea of this scheme was to prevent that type of thing from happening, it was to protect the tenants, their family, but also indirectly the, the, the landlord as well. Uh, and this is public money that was being misused at a phenomenal rate. Um, but as I say, it was, it was, this explicit consent was withdrawn in November 2017. However, some of the, the, the DWP staff clearly didn't get a memo didn't get the advice on it because they are still using it as an excuse for not making payment direct to landlords even today. It's probably the thing that I write to DWP about more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, when I've spoken to landlords um, about, you know, accepting tenants on benefit or universal credit, I mean, uh, I think that's the thing that, that puts them off. You know that they're, they're not able to talk to anybody, that they're treated with contempt when they do talk to someone. And, and I know they've often said to me that it's, it's not the prospective tenants that are the problem. It, it's the whole business of, of dealing with the organization for delivery of the, of the benefit or universal credit that's, that, that's the problem. Um, yeah, there's a disconnect as well between the people at the front end of DWP that who don't seem to be getting much by way of um, advice and support and training. Um, when I was at council, we spent so much time training our staff, and by doing so, they became more effective. They didn't put things into the bending basket or put things some, for someone else to deal with. They dealt with the issue. And what you find with DWP is the same thing has been repeated all the time. Um, what, one of the things they do is when they, uh, the landlord applies for the direct payments, They'll make their application and then, as I say, they'll follow up and they'll ask, you know, what's happening. If they phone the number, the general queries number, they'll, the first thing they'll be asked to get through, and it takes about 20 minutes to 30 minutes to get through. First thing they'll be asked, do you have the explicit consent of your tenant? If the answer to that is no, they won't speak to them. They won't divulge anything. And even if they do divulge something, particularly during COVID when you couldn't be sitting alongside your tenant, that is more difficult. Um, and a lot of these landlords became totally frustrated by that. So they would then write to the DWP staff and then they would write back saying, you know, thanks for your email of two months ago. We apologize for the late 
uh, or the delayed response. Um, we're sorry we can't actually make the award and um, can't tell you why. Now, can you, Ridiculous. Can, can you think of any other situation where somebody applies, whether it's a grant or a benefit or some other scheme, you know, a student or whatever, and you apply, you think you satisfy all the criteria and you make your application and you don't get the courtesy of a, an, of a, a response or you don't get a response that allows you to discern why you've been refused. And in most cases, we find that when we pursue these complaints to the independent case examiner, uh, the first 20 or so that I, I complained about, I think every one of them was successful insofar as the independent case examiner said DWP was guilty of maladministration. It was so bad that the, the person in charge of DWP complaints, who after that was removed from his post, he actually supported us in our complaints and said to the, the, to the um, independent case examiner, if you come to a conclusion in these cases, we hope we'll be able to then apply that to the rest of the cases that are in the pipeline. Um, so they were found guilty of maladministration, but Joanna Wallace, who is the independent case examiner, um, decided that even though DWP was guilty, uh, no recompense could be made for the rental loss. Now, that was the whole idea of applying. And if you contrast that with the local government ombudsman who deals with complaints about housing benefit on the same issue, direct payments, if the local authority messes up, if they make a mess of the actual uh, the direct payment request by the landlord and the landlord loses out, they will be compensated. But, but that's, a, you know, I, you know, I've done complaint handling in a, a previous life, uh, Bill, but that's the very, you know, it's basic, right? You know, if, if somebody suffers a loss because you've done something wrong, you, you put it right, surely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I've written to her and I've written to taking the cases to the, the, the Parliamentary and Housing Ombudsman. And um, what I found with the Parliamentary Health, Health Service Ombudsman was they, they, they couldn't interfere with the decision that was made. That, that's not to say they agreed or disagreed with the decision that was made. They just couldn't find any reason for um, setting that aside. And, uh, and I was saying, well, the, the other thing about this, I don't know if you're aware of it, Ben, but it, it takes between two and three years to get an outcome. Yes, yes, very much aware of that. And that, yeah, I, I gave evidence, um, uh, Bill, a few months ago to the DWP Select Committee, um, uh, chair, a chap called Stephen Timms, a Labour MP in the east of London, yeah. um, uh, was surprised uh, by you know, a lot of the things that we were saying, not just in relation to, you know, complaints handling, taking the best part of two years and some but you know some of the administrative issues that that frankly um you know do put landlords off you know i, I don't think this is about the tenant this is very much about the the, you know, the system and framework in which landlords are expected to just you know suck up and and not be treated like proper uh like proper customers so it's it's an area that the nrla uh, appreciates that causes a lot of pain and frankly you know there's going to be a, a many more landlords that are going to be having to go through this system and and frankly it's it's ripe for change i think i mean the, the, the ironical thing about it is that you don't have the right to take a case to, to an appeal which you do under housing benefit but when you actually make your complaint the dwp takes 
months before they give you the authority to then take your case to an independent case examiner because you need their letter confirming that you've exhausted their complaints process. Yeah. Um, now, they say they've reduced the stages from two stages to one, but the reality is they really haven't changed anything. It still takes the same six months to get that uh, outcome letter and only when you press and press to get it. And then when you then refer it to the independent case examiner, you then get this two to three year way uh, to get an outcome to it. And it's just, I've never came across, and I've been doing this for 30 odd years, yes. I've never came across anything as, as absurd. And as you quite rightly say, the landlord is the person who, um, some of the case law for housing benefit recognises that in many of these instances, the landlord is the only one that does what he's required to do or does what she's required to do. Uh, and yet it's the landlord that actually has to absorb the pain. And, you know, if, if, if you look at the, the reaction from the hierarchy within DWP, and I'm talking about the ones at the, the top of the hierarchy, um, I wrote a, a, a letter, an open letter, way back 2017 to Neil Cowling, expressing all these type of concerns. And the response we got, which was published in a lot of the, the housing uh, websites, property tribes, property 118, etc., was, look, Bill, you, you uh, the type of work that you do, you're obviously going to get complaints from landlords about these type of things. But these are few and far between. The vast majority of landlords are delighted because we speak to these stakeholder groups and they tell us how well we're actually doing. Now, I'm not here just to knock DWP for the sake of it. My, my job is to represent landlords. So to some extent, what was being said was right, but the volume of people that contact me, either through my website or through or these different blogs that are there, well, we're talking about tens of thousands of people over the last 10 years, and it's all the same story. And DWP has done nothing to improve a lot of these things. Now, if you take the direct payment system, which the RLA and the NRLA have tried to help to try and develop, um, They've never actually taken that from the initial the initial stage of development to improve it in any way. So you've got the situation where um, the landlord makes an application. If he makes an application, doesn't know the date of birth of the tenant, not all tenants are willing to, to cooperate, then they can't progress it because there's, there's, a, there's an essential part of that. Now, I know, and some landlords know, that if you put a random date of birth in, that should allow you to, to progress. But for most landlords who are doing it for the first time, they'll not realise that. And there is no other facility for them to, to take that forward. Um, and if you complain, the first thing you get is a letter saying, or an email saying, thanks for your complaint. Um, we, we hope to respond to you within 28 days. Now, in many of these cases, you're hoping to get a quicker response to that because you've got a pending a, a hearing, a tribunal and, and things like that. Or, or a court uh, if you're pursuing uh, recovery of a debt. And as I say, they, they just don't seem to be able to prioritise uh, these type of things. No, and, and I think for us, Bill, uh, you know, I understand that we're de that they're dealing with significant volumes, but it, it, yeah, the, the, the evidence that we have given and, and, uh, and speak to DWP about is really about some very fundamental systemic problems within you know within that that department that is not conducive to uh, to landlords being recognized as the customers that they that that they are 
Absolutely. Why would you not want to engage with landlords? Why why would you not want to ask a landlord, could you confirm yes. that this bill of an issue of tenant, could you confirm that the rental charge is X amount? Could you confirm that bill of is no longer resident? Now, the, reg- the actual regulations for universal credit all recognise the important role landlords have got to play. Basically, what they've done is they've taken the housing benefit legislation and almost copied and pasted it over into UC. But the DWP's hierarchy doesn't really want to engage with the private landlord because dealing with them means more resources to deal with them, first of all. Uh, what they want to do is to channel the tenants through this journal. And the idea is by entering information into the journal, that will reduce the need for their staff to intervene. And I understand, I understand that. But there are some times when you need to go for validation. And during COVID, one of the things they did was they introduced a policy called Trust and Protect, which I'm sure you've heard about. And what essentially that, that meant was they were saying that we will accept during COVID because of all the problems associated with trying to contact people face-to-face, etc. Um, we will accept what we're told by the tenant. And by doing that, they caused £6 billion worth of more payments to be created in one year, 2021. And the National Audit Office, obviously, uh, was very critical of the approach. Now, what they could have done during that time was emailed a landlord and said, oh, can you confirm you know, the housing part of things? And they would have quickly responded to that, Indeed. particularly if they thought it was going to get them their direct payments. But they chose not to do that. And that was a, that was a major mistake in their part. Now what they're doing is, having created the problem, they're now saying, well, we want to recover was overpayments and who are they going after indeed, if the indeed. money's paid to the landlord they'll go after the landlord it doesn't matter whether the landlord caused or contributed to the overpayment they're just going to go after them because they see them as the soft touch and that's wrong and most of the cases i deal with when we challenge the decision they just back off but a lot of you know a lot of landlords will not know that and will just pay the money I had somebody on speak to me a few weeks ago. They got a bill for £14,000. And he was just going to pay that. And I said to him, oh, ridiculous. did you contribute to it in any way? No, he said, it's actually the tenant. I said, well, in that case, they should be pursuing the tenant for the money mm. rather than the sell. But he was in the process of trying to negotiate a repayment system to, to pay off that £14,000 debt. And invariably, you'll find that you won't have to repay that debt if he knows how to go about it. Um, one thing I should mention uh, is that yesterday the DWP announced that the Maddie's migration, the forced transfer of the remaining 2.4 million legacy claimants, so those people who are under pensionable age who are claiming income support, ESA, uh, housing benefit, etc., they are starting the process next month. They're starting with 500 cases. And assuming that goes well, they'll then start the process of notifying uh, tenants of their need to transfer over onto UC. The idea being that they'll complete that exercise by 2024. Um, and we'll get into the details today, but there is a process that involves a three-month warning, first of all, a deadline, and then a subsequent deadline. Uh, and if people are aware of that and can do what they're required to do, then that will minimise the problem. It's really something the NRA, yep. NRLA and others can help to highlight so that the landlords themselves 
are aware of what's happening and can participate if need be to help individuals through that process. And, and, and Bill, just think, yeah, we've, we've spoken a lot about the, the myriad of, uh, you know, of issues when it comes uh, to this sort of thing. But it, it, does this dial back, you know, appreciating some of the specifics that, you know, we need landlords to be properly recognised as, you know, as, as customers and being able to be trusted with uh, the information both ways. But is this simply about resourcing at, at, at DWP and uh, in terms of administering universal credit? Is is that is that you know is that is that the solution or is there something else to improve this stuff? I I, I think that uh, right from the very start they wanted to save money, and what they did was they framed it on that basis, and I think they underestimated the housing part, and and accommodation and other things as well. The people who set up the IT system didn't fully understand what it was they were requiring and blaming you now the IT guys for getting it wrong. But in fact, the people that were actually giving advice or instruction to the IT people were the ones that get it wrong. Some of the things they're actually doing in the, in the system uh, is illegal. It doesn't comply with the regulations. It's not done, it's not done intentionally. It's unintentional. Um, but to me, these things are all administrative things and it all... Uh, is caused by the people who are making the decisions at the top, not fully understanding sometimes um, the issue that we're dealing with. I mean, things like, for example, um, a tenancy agreement. Many of the staff don't understand the, the concept of a contractual period and uh, a, you know a periodic of statutes for tenancy. They don't understand, you know, the, the fact that a landlord can buy a property with a certain tenant who already has a tenancy agreement and by issuing certain notices, then that liability can shift to them. I dealt with one just yesterday on that. And DWP's attitude to that is they, they just think there's something iffy about it <laughs> rather than you know get to the grips with, well, is that really the case? We need to now try to advise our staff that there's, there's an issue um, called untidy tenancies. It comes up time and time again. This is a, a terminology used by DWP. Um, if Tessa and I were living together in a tenancy, my name is on the tenancy agreement, and we decide to split at some point, uh, and, te and Tessa decides to stay in the property, then she can actually be paid housing benefit or indeed universal credit without any formal liability there. They treat that treater as liable because she was living with somebody who was liable. Now, that actually happens quite a lot in, in many of these tenancies. And the DWP four years ago agreed that in those circumstances, um, the tenants in that scenario I gave could then be paid. But most of their staff still don't know. And they still get this wrong. Well, they pay a 50% because I've, I've got a, I still get a liability uh, to pay the rent. So they just pay her 50%, meaning that that rent the other 50% will not be paid. Um, but these are things that the DWP is trying to correct as they go. If they'd sat down a way back at the start and said, well, what are the things we need to address in housing? These things would obviously have came to, came to the fore. The, the failure of, the, of the, the inability to appeal from a landlord's position uh, is a big, big issue. There is no facility for email. There's no dedicated phone number, which I mentioned yeah. earlier on. There is no dedicated form to ask for a mandate of reconsideration or to do an appeal. 
Now, if you're a landlord, you have appeal rights with regards particularly to overpayments. Um, but the only way you can do that is by making appeal to a practice manager or a, a service manager or something like that. But you might not know that these people exist. You, don't, you might not know the structure. Uh, and the actual decision letter you get as well doesn't tell you that you can actually do it by email. It tells you you need to send a letter to somewhere in Wolverhampton, the mail opening unit in Wolverhampton. And that was a disaster. That was why the UC47 forms we used to use for direct payments. That was why that was all stopped, because all these forms that were completed by the landlords were going to miss it. What a cheery picture you paint, Bill. I'm just, <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was thinking just before you said that there. Yeah. I, I wish I, I've only got coffee here. I feel like it should be scotch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, 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 to be, to be to two, there's a lottery about it. There are some areas yes. of, the, of the UK where it's better. In Scotland, it's no, it's under, there's no doubts about it. It's better than delivered. The lady in charge in Scotland um, uh, used to work for one of the big housing associations. Uh, and so there's a bit of empathy there for, I think, the landlord position. And if I write to the Scottish office, uh, and then those things will be dealt with very quickly. If I advise my clients to write, then those things will be dealt with yeah, but, very but quickly. You, but I don't want empathy as a landlord. I just want people to do their job, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. want to be paid. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of being a landlord, apart from increasing capital value, is that you get the rent. If you don't get the rent, there's no point in being a landlord. You might as well yeah, shut and, up and... And, and, and that's, that, that's, the bit, that's the bit, if you could correct that, like, like this alternative payment arrangement scheme, the Parliament decreed that there should be an alternative to paying the, the default position of paying the tenant the money and let them manage it. And the default applies to people who are rent arrears, but also people who have got maybe a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, or a history of non-payment, etc. Now, if they applied the actual guidance, their own guidance, and they provided the, the means for people to make application, get updates, and be able to phone somebody to find out what's happening, that would resolve a lot of the problems. And it would, it would actually reduce dramatically a lot of the traffic they're getting, and that ultimately they have to deal with, because the frustrated landlord is not going to sit back and and wait until uh, Christmas before he gets his letter. He's going to chase it up as soon as possible. Um, so there's a lot of these things that could really address quickly, and it would improve the lot of the landlord. And it would make them, as you were saying earlier on, Tessa, less likely to be hesitant to take some new benefits. Um, because to me, I mean, I've got a lot of clients that build up very good businesses by specialising and taking on people from housing associations, from councils, from prisons, and a variety of others. And under housing benefit, you were guaranteed the money because the councils themselves used to call it the safeguarding provisions. And they would safeguard the rent by making the payment directly to the landlord. There's no reason why in many of these cases under UC the same shouldn't apply. But the staff are not encouraged to do it, nor are they given the means to do it in many cases. Uh, and there is no appellate process. So the the landlord doesn't have the right to take it to an independent body. And all of those things could be resolved pretty quickly to put our mind to it. Yeah, so uh, are we going to have a sort of more optimistic upturn bit to the end of our end of our podcast? Because uh, I think probably our time is uh, 
Well, I, I, th- I, I mean, what I would say on this is I think, you know, Bill articulates uh, a lot of issues that, we, you know, that, that landlords are talking about that certainly NRLA is aware of. Um, I think we just have to make far more noise over this subject because, you know, at the end of the day, if you if you have someone decorate your house, right, and they do a rubbish job, you don't ask them back. And I think, you know, as landlords are being lent on, uh, an increasing amount to uh, you know to let to people on benefits and universal credit etc that whole experience piece of you know uh, knowing that you can uh, query something or get you know answers to you know pertinent questions for the management of that tenancy is going to be so so important so I just think we have to redouble our efforts Tessa about you know shining a greater light on some of the dreadful issues that landlords are facing. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, there's is, a campaign what, there for the NRLA, isn't there? I think uh, there is very much so. I mean, that's that's what the NRLA is there for. It is absolutely. Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have to we have to find our moment uh, on this. As I say, you know, we 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 had a bash uh, um, uh, a year six months ago with the work around the select committee. But as we c- kind of moving out of you know pandemic phase and moving away from COVID, these are are real issues because the bit that grates me is that you know landlords get pilloried for then not accepting DSS uh, and whatever the uh, you know the, the 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 phrase is there. But you know with some of these dreadful stories, uh, you know it's far less about the individuals and, and entirely about the the infrastructure and the uh, the systemic problems that uh, are at the base of universal credit that that cause that dissatisfaction frankly well one thing i think it will happen um is the courts now that they're back up and running the courts will start to question the landlords through the kind of pre-action protocol idea you know have you done everything before you came here well i've applied for an app what happened um, the reply i reapplied i reapplied i reapplied <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I, I used to do the training for the Institute of Housing on uh, PH and protocols as they applied to the social sector way back 20 odd years ago. And the courts take these things very seriously. Uh, now, I know they're not formally yet applied to the private sector, but many of the courts like the idea. Uh, and um, I remember being um, in my position as head of service, being pulled up by a sheriff principal one day. Uh, to attend the court, my secretary phoned me and uh, she said, if you go to the court, and I said, what's that about? Uh, the sheriff principal wants to see you, what's that about? Didn't mention. And it was a case where we were actually going to uh, court for a decree for eviction of a property. And uh, I mentioned earlier on, we'd taken on the council tax and the, the rates, etc. And what happened was this lady who was a tenant went to court, we were trying to get the decree, the decree for recovery of the property. And uh, in the defence, she said, I can't pay the rent because I'm paying so much to the sheriff officers, your equivalent, your bailiffs. And, and that was, in fact, the case. We didn't know about this. Um, and the sheriff principal basically said to me, um, I don't, I'm not interested in any excuse, Mr. Irvin. If you're responsible for this new service being integrated, you need to make sure that housing debt is the priority debt and any of these other debts are secondary debts as far as we're concerned. So don't come here again asking to repossess a property where you've already got in place an arrangement for something else. Um, and that type, type of thing is happening today because a lot of these uh, tenants who have got rent arrears, a lot of the rent arrears could be recovered through what we call third-party deductions or at least reduced through that. 
But DWP is prioritising its own debts. It's prioritising HMRC overpayments and uh, housing benefit overpayments when these are way down the pecking order or should be. Um, so these are the type of things. If we can remedy these errors, then that would definitely help. And uh, as, as Tessa was suggesting earlier on, it would remove a lot of this hesitancy to take on people on yeah. benefits if we could do that. Well, good to end on something that we can tangibly uh, uh, do, Bill, I think. And it's important that we, uh, yeah, we, we continue to make uh, noises about, around this subject, around improvements for the benefit of everybody that is, is operating yeah. in, in, in this environment. So thanks very much for coming on to the show. Not at all. Thank you, good Bill. Good to see you. Thanks very Cheers. much. interesting wasn't it um, Ben if depressing <laughs> yeah I would say uh, depressing over over interesting to be honest with you but th these are th the issues that he he, he uh, the bill raises are absolutely bang on you know these are not new issues these are issues that have been with us for a little while and I think um, they become more and more relevant as landlords are lent upon uh, to uh, house those on on benefits, and I think uh, you know, it's just it can't be right that if you've got a complaint about somebody, it takes two to three years. You know, uh, that's yeah. a long time, right? I mean, landlords are under a lot of pressure. I know tenants will probably turn their eyes up and think, oh, you know, they can't possibly under as much pressure as I am. But I mean, they are because you know, if they're not getting paid benefit, they haven't got any income. They've got to carry on paying their mortgage. They're expected to bring the properties up to energy level C, which is probably going to cost them their entire profit if they are being paid. You know, I mean, it's putting landlords in an impossible position. And it the is. people that are going to suffer from this in the end are not the landlords, it's the tenants. I, I think the takeaway, Tessa, from this is that DWP is doing a great disservice to landlords and tenants and their agents, frankly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, much more like my homework at school, it, you know, it can do a lot better. And must yeah. do a lot better because um, you know people. This is this is people's homes and livelihoods, uh, and you know it, what it's also doing is casting a massive doubt on. You know, if you have a bad experience in the way that Bill has described, are you going to want to repeat that again? I doubt it. And so you know there there has to be, and it, you know it's incumbent on on us to uh, to tell that. Uh, uh, story uh, and the issues that are affecting landlords and tenants to try and drive some change and do that we will. Yeah, I, I think there's a real place here for the NRLA to, to have a proper campaign and to, you know, you could probably do a lot of good. So um, I look forward to hearing about it. My homework has been set. I shall report back on the next occasion. <laughs> okay, then. Right. Well, um, we will be back again next month where we have, um, who have we got next month? I Julie, isn't it? Julie, Julie Ford. The fabulous what's on, Julie. What's on the board, Miss Ford? Excellent. Yes. Looking forward to that already. So that'll be a good one. So um, thank you very much to our wonderful speaker this time, wonderful guest this time, Bill Irvin. Um, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll put a link to his, uh, his website on the, um, on, on the website about this. Um, if, if landlords do need some help, he is very good and he will be able to help you. Indeed. Okay, right. Bye-bye, everybody. See you next time. See you next time.